What I wanted to talk about tonight is kind of a little bit, you know, more than just the laws of kosher, but more like the perspective, the philosophy that the Jewish people have had with regards to food. Uh, because, you know, like, I guess, really all humans, we have somewhat of a tortured relationship with food. You know, on, on, you know in, a certain, in a certain way, we kind of view it very positively, kind of from a spiritual perspective. Obviously, everyone needs to eat food. Uh, on the other hand, we kind of have a very, some very sharp and negative things to say about overindulgence and uh, kind of making it a priority in life. So I wanted to kind of dig in a little bit into uh, some, of the, uh, some of the sources and what they say about food uh, and kind of what we can learn from it, not only just in isolated uh, respect to eating and food, but also to kind of the big picture uh, of Judaism kind of what's it all about and what the lesson is and where we're heading to. Okay, so I want to start off with two questions, and let me tell you, let me, you guys let me know what you think here. Um, so number one, we start off with uh, this idea. So we make all these blessings, right? And a blessing, of course, is something spiritual, right? It's we're invoking the name of the Almighty. The Almighty gave us all these wonderful things. And indeed, you know, we're not the only people that eat, right? You know, Jews like their food, right? Especially bagels and deli, right? We like food, but eating is not a, really a Jewish or spiritual or religious activity. So why are we marking the, the, you know, the activity that is ubiquitous and universal and we're making that something spiritual? Like, why, why is there a mitzvah? It's not like it's you put on tefillin or you, you do mezuzah or you engage in some sort of religious activity, then it makes sense to make a blessing. When you engage in something which is entirely mundane, right? It's you're eating. It's mundane. Why would you make a religious ceremony out of it? Um, I'll give you guys another example. Like, you know, we don't make a blessing when we breathe, do we? Breathe like a Jew, right? Do we or don't we? Huh? Well, what's wrong with that? Uh, you're, saying, uh, you're saying it's just impractical, right? But you're constantly eating, right? We eat all the time. We make blessings all the time. Maybe we should make blessings while we breathe, right? Well, okay, maybe. Yeah, so actually, this is uh, this is a little bit of a red herring because especially <laughs> okay, there is this idea. No, you're right, and, and that is that indeed we are told that we're supposed to thank the Almighty. Al kol nishima unishima tehalel ka. We have to thank God for every breath that we take, and I think the idea is is, is interesting where we have this intersection between the life we live as humans, and all humans live where we eat, we breathe. And then we have life, we, as Jew, we have this, this overlay of a religious experience onto a mundane activity, or what maybe could have been mundane. I think that's interesting. And I think another way to ask the same question, um, and I've asked, been asked this question many, many times, and I'm sure you guys have encountered people asking this question, if you don't have this question yourself. And that is, does the Almighty really care if I eat cheeseburgers? We know that mixing milk and meat, that's part of kosher 101, uh, mixing milk and meat is prohibited by Jewish law. Well, of course, why would you do it? But the question is, what's the, what's the meaning behind it? And the Almighty in His Holy Torah, the uh, creator of heaven and earth and all the cosmos, and this is what they, it concerns Him? Whether or not we eat milk and meat or if we, we wait a little bit between eating milk and meat, is this really so important? Isn't like the humane thing to do? Like, if you don't cook the cow, but it's 
Well, that's, that's how it's presented in the Torah, but right. it's, 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 it's not only that. Like, the mitzvah that we have is to not have a slab of cheese put on your burger. So that's nothing to do with, 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 with being humane. That's just the mitzvah. And the question is, like, is that really so important? Is that a good question? Yeah. Yeah? Yes. Is that a good question? Has you anyone ever encountered that question? Huh? What do you guys say? Why do we have so many mitzvahs governing how we eat, what we eat? And by the way, this mitzvah would extend to anything. Like, is it so important to the Almighty whether or not we uh, mix different kinds of materials and making your, your, your suit. If you see Rabbi Johnny's suit, I guarantee you that he has some sort of label inside of it that says it doesn't have shotness. Does it have a what? Shotness. What? Shotness. What's that? What, well, it's shotness, right? Yeah. So the Torah said that you have the label? Yeah, it's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, my God. It so the Torah says Jews are not allowed to wear clothing comprised of wool and linen mixed together. And the I question is... I think I might have some of Wool and linen together? I don't know. Why it's check? Okay. Well, so uh, it's unlikely, but it's possible. I mean, it's Texas. You don't really wear wool in Texas. I don't think it's very you still wear linen, linen, huh? I don't think it's very common. It's not very common. It's it does. Mm-hmm. Well, it's never, almost never in the label, but the problem is, is that sometimes it's in the, in, in the fabric. It's in the seams, oh in the seams, in linings, oh. uh, especially uh, very high-priced. Uh, suits for men. Yeah. Um, now, it, is it really important to the Almighty if we wear wool and linen together? Is that a good question? Is that so important? What do y'all say, guys? Huh? Of course, there's a reason. But yeah, but there's a lot. Like, I think the laws of kosher would fall into that category as well. And I think it's a legitimate question to ask. What is the reason why you would have such a mitzvah, which seems to be really doesn't really impact your life as a human, right? So I want to give a little bit of perspective, I think, of uh, of what the Talmud said. The Talmud says something very bizarre, I think, uh, at least on face value. And it says like this. Listen to this, guys. Okay, I want to see if you guys can explain this to me. I'm looking at you, Tzvi. Can you explain this to me? Like this. Talmud says, before you pray that words of Torah should enter your innards, enter your stomach, pray that delicious, delectable foods should not enter your innards. What does that mean, right? Well, but that's, this is a little bit different. This is not, this is not pray beforehand. Mm-hmm. Before you pray, that Torah goes into your into your belly, into your innards, pray that food, delectable, delicious food, does not go into your innards. Well, uh, what prayer is there to not have food go into your where, where's the First of all, where should the food go if it's not into your innards? Huh? Well, your soul doesn't need food. <laughs> well, where does the food go to? Doesn't, doesn't it go to your innards, right? Didn't you talk about your GI earlier? Right? <laughs> what does this mean, guys? This is the Talmud. It has to make sense. Maybe it can't it's not just mean. It's talking about food in general. It's talking about certain kinds of foods that shouldn't be. It says ma'adanim, uh, which means, uh, or megadim, which means delicious food. Right. So maybe we can don't enjoy this world too much. Don't, ha- don't have too much. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Um, I think uh, okay. So let's so let's let's kind of dig into this a little bit here. Um, I think that what the Talmud's telling us, like what you're saying, is that foods present a very unique challenge to us. You know, if you go a week without eating food, you might die. Well, I don't know if a week, maybe you'll need two weeks. But if you go a significant, you, people have died of hunger, right? So we need we need food. Yet there are some people that make food an end unto itself, a value unto itself. When, like Ori said, it's 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 fuel. It's something that you need, but it ought not be a focus. Here's an example. You know, um, we are told in the Mishnah that this world, our entire existence in this world, is compared to a a corridor before a ballroom, before a hall. So you're walking down a long hall, and you really want to get to the end. So our existence here as humans is just trying to get to the end. Get to the end, uh, the, end of, the end of the hall. Of the hall. I'll give you guys an example, right? We have Bucky's. This is the first, the first time I was in Bucky's. And the reason why it's so bizarre, what's, what's bizarre about it? It used to be that when you went to a... If you if you went to a, you went on a long drive. That's all it is. There's like a million things you can buy at Bucky's. Saying it's a gas station is kind of. Well, stuff they're trying to get. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. That's true. Especially if you go to certain ones, there's like a giant Bucky statue at certain ones. My first one, I took a picture with Bucky. Giant beaver. Yeah, a giant beaver. And there's a mascot that you can buy souvenirs. I have. But it's the reason why it's unique is because the reason why it's unique is because it used to be that you stop for gas and you stop to get a, a diet coke, yeah. like it was just a stop, yeah. and now it's a destination. <laughs> and this is, I think, the Bucky's effect is the mistake that we make in our lives. The mistake that we make is we don't realize that when we're here on this earth, we're traveling somewhere. And when you're traveling somewhere, you just want to get there. So you need to stop, stop for gas, you stop to go to the bathroom, but really your mind is on the goal, it's on the destination. And then comes along Bucky's and says, no, 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 no. Settle down. Right? We, this, this is a place to come and spend time. Buy souvenirs. Who used to buy souvenirs at gas stations? <laughs> yeah, it's this, it's, yeah, it's hilarious, right? You have, you have rows and rows of souvenirs at Bucky's, right? And that's essentially a microcosm of what life for us is here. We really have to get to our destination. And everything else is a distraction. And then we have Bucky's on every side. And you know what happens to your Bucky's on every side? You never get to where you need to go. And you lose sight of your destination. You turn off your GPS and say, oh, what a nice place to stay. I'll, I'll stay here. I don't need to go to vacation in, in Austin or in Dallas. I'll just stop at Bucky's and I'll just move in over here. I'll get in one of the, one of the cheap motels and settle down. And is that a mistake? Of course that's a mistake. I thought of another example. Listen to this. this is, that was my first marshal of the day, first analogy. Listen to this analogy. Imagine you got really expensive tickets to the Super Bowl. Someday, right? The, well, actually, 2017, we're having the Super Bowl no, here in Houston, yeah, right? I'm leaving. Yeah, I'm leaving with you. There's no freaking way I'm going home. There's no way I'm going home. There's no way So you have tickets to the Super Bowl, but you also get, you got two tickets. So you're bringing your, 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 your boy, your son, your 10-year-old boy. And you're walking there, and we know there's a lot of festivities around the stadium. I don't know what team is playing. There's festivities around the stadium, and 
The kid says, oh, let's stop over here and get some cotton candy. So you stop and get some cotton candy. And oh, let's stop over here, let's buy some memorabilia. And you stop over there, buy some, and you get a hot dog, and you go, and eventually you get to the stadium and the game's over. Aww. Can you imagine how depressing that would be? You just spent <laughs> five grand on each ticket, and you stopped outside and just, all you wanted to do, you were distracted. And this is essentially the primary danger that we have with regards to food. Yeah, it's an example of that. But in general, all the physical, material, and carnal pleasures that we could possibly have, if they become a destination onto their own, if they become an end onto their own, well, then we lose sight of what we're really here for. And that's what the Talmud's telling us. The Talmud's telling us, before you pray that Torah becomes your innards, your kishtas, as they say in Yiddish, right? It, it becomes your essence, what your focus is. You have to be careful that food does not. And food is not just food. It's representative of everything that could potentially disrupt our focus. The most dangerous thing that could happen to us in life is to not realize that we're in a hall, we're in a corridor, we're, that, that we're traveling. We have an ultimate destination, and that's where we need to go, and we need to get there. And it's of critical existential importance that we don't lose sight of our goal, of our destination. And comes along food, so food's one example. But there's loads of examples. And, by the way, if you ever heard of the term Yetzirah, that term, has anybody heard that term? Yetzirah or Yetzirah? Or evil inclination in English? How would you imagine that the evil inclination is described in the Talmud? It's that voice in your head that says the Talmud. Mm-hmm. No, it's not how it's described in the Talmud. Come on, Johnny, you learn Talmud. Yetzirah. Well, okay, but it has a nickname of the Talmud. It does? Do you know what its, you know what it's nickname is? You know what knows here. You want anyone wants to know? Anyone's curious? This is, huh? Secret whisper. Secret what? You whisper secrets. Oh, no. It's what it is like this. It says that it's the yeast in the dough. Se'or shebe'isa. Yeast in the dough. What, in the name of God, does that have to do with Yetzirah? Even the answer is like this. If you have matzah, right? Matzah fulfills what Ori needs. It's fuel so your body can run, so the engine can run. Yeah. Comes along, you throw in a dose of yeast. Huh? huh? You just tried to digest two It's so <laughs> You take yeast, and suddenly you have this big, beautiful, delicious bread. It's the same ingredients. Right? Nutritionally, they're, they're identical. The only difference is, is that one of them is Bucky's. One of them is a destination. One of them is something you're like, oh, bread. Like, no one salivates over matzah. No one. Actually, I, know, I, I knew some people that do. <laughs> I actually do know some people that do. Yeah, Rwanda, is, yeah, he salivates over matzah. Also, the matzah pizza, people are very... People like matzah pizza. You know that pizza they charge 20 bucks for? One slice, 20 bucks so, but 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 that but that that's what the Yetzirah does. It takes everything, every distraction on the way to the stadium, every distraction along our path to the destination, and puffs it up. And this is Bucky's. I love it. You've seen how big it is. I was I, I took my kids there. It's like it's enormous. And what happened to the little gas station? That's so disgusting. You kind of have to, like, you know, you just 
how is it possible that humans defiled a bathroom to such an extent? You know, it's terrible. And then suddenly you have Bucky's, and it's like, it's so different. And that's what the Yitzhara does. It says, lose sight of your destination and focus on just the distractions along the way. Does that mean you should live, like, in the shack eating matzah every day? <laughs> matzah. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that we only eat matzah for eight days, uh, seven, well, seven or eight days a year. And I think the reason why we eat matzah for seven to eight days a year is to remember this point. It's to remember this point. It's to remember that our life over here is temporary. By the way, you know what else we do seven or eight days a year? We sit in a sukkah. What's a sukkah? It's a temporary. Basically, it's a temporary residence. And you know, it, it, those two are exact parallels of each other. Every half a year, we have this touch point with the realization that we're here temporarily. When you're traveling, you don't. You, you, you don't. It's not so important. You stop along the side of the way. You find a cheap motel. And if someone to say, this is where you live? No, it's not where I live. This is where I stop over on my way to my journey. You know, the great story of the Chafetz Chaim. Chafetz Chaim, some guy came to him and said to him, Chafetz Chaim was one of the great uh, sages of the past, uh, you know, quarter millennium. Someone came to his house in Rodden in, in Poland, and he had the most meager, bare furniture. It was like, it was embarrassing. The guy said to him, is this where you live? It's, it's, it's so meager. And he says to him, well, you know, what should I have instead? He says, we should have nice furniture, have a nice couch, nice comfortable tables. And he says, well, what about you? Where's your table? He's like, well, my table's in my home, my permanent home. He says, my table and my furniture is it also in my permanent home. Here, if you view life as he did, that it's just a journey, well, then okay, you could survive. It's not your permanent residence. You know, like when you rent a house, right? You rent a house, and it doesn't be, per- it doesn't be perfect, Right? Yeah, you don't have to worry so much about the walls. Something gets scratched, no big deal. But if you buy a house, this is, your, this is where you're going to live, then it has to be super nice. So you're right. It's not something we think about all the time. But we have to remember, in every half a year, we have a holiday that the core mitzvah of the holiday is this point, again and again. And, and I'll say that this is why we have this uh, uh, duplicitous uh, relationship with food. Because on one hand, we're told we have to pray that food doesn't become part of our, our lives. Pray. You have to daven. It's not, just, it's not just enough to avoid it. You have to pray because it's dangerous, because it can become a focus. And if it becomes a focus and you lose sight of your real focus, your life is in uh, great peril. Is that not relying on a miracle? Huh? Is that not relying on a miracle? Something you can do yourself. You can just have self-control and you can do it. Um, oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what I'll tell you? You, you, you could do it on your own, but comes along the Torah. What does the Torah say? No cheeseburgers. Is there something kind of objectively wrong about cheeseburgers? Maybe yes, maybe no. We don't know. But either way, what the Torah is telling us, pull back a little bit. Have some sort of physical pleasures that you're not going to indulge in. And even if it's arbitrary, it's totally arbitrary. Let's assume it's totally arbitrary. It was just picked out of a hat. Still... We find meaning to, we find meaning to that because if you regulate yourself to at least in certain instances in your life not get caught up by the distractions, even though it won't be everything, of course we could have a lot of delicious, wonderful kosher food, right? But once we have some things that we say no to, we regulate ourselves to say, you know, this is something you don't need, this is something we could pass. That kind of changes our perspective to make our entire life to get used to the idea of saying no. So I'll say, does God really care about cheese? It's not about cheeseburgers. It's about 
developing a life attitude in which not everything that we want, that our body wants, do we actually stop and have this as a distraction. And the more we mitigate the influence of the distractions in the life, the more likely it is that we'll actually keep our eye on, on the real prize, and that is what will actually happen to us you know, uh, eternally with our soul. Now, I think has some really cool stories. Some cool stories. I think you guys like stories. We can look at, at a, a, as a, um, like a, a, almost a one-for-one swap, a zero-sum game. The more you focus or the more you abstain from a physical-centric perspective, a body-centric perspective on life, the more your spiritual reality grows in direct uh, commensurate measure. Um, and by rejecting, by eschewing, by limiting, by mitigating, by attenuating, by minimizing Whoa. your connection uh, to the physical, as per the guidance of the Torah, automatically that void is going to be filled by a more spiritual-centric uh, approach. So I'll give you a cool story. Rabbi Israel Salanter, 1817 to 1883. One of the great personalities, Jewish personalities, Rabbi Israel Salanter. 1817 uh, to 1883. One of the great uh, personalities originally of Lithuania, and then he moved to Germany in 1857. One of the most hotly debated issues of the, tw- of the 19th century uh, in, in, in Jewish Europe was why Rabbi Israel Salanter left Lithuania and moved to Germany, which is essentially the equivalent of someone leaving B'nai Brak and moving into the red light district in Amsterdam. Like, it's just, uh, why would someone do that? But either way, he was a smoker. No, he was, he was a smoker. Oh. Now he'll say, wait a minute, rabbi, how, does a, how is a rabbi a smoker? Don't you know yeah. that smoking cause, causes cancer? <laughs> well, in 1964, the Surgeon General came out with the warning that smoking causes cancer. He died in 1883. You see these old pictures where everyone's smoking, like indoors, and you're like, whoa, what's going on there, right? Either way, he was a smoker. And one night, he woke up, middle of the night, and he wanted a cigarette. Now, what's the problem? Just take a cigarette and smoke it, right? The problem was, he didn't have any cigarettes. The only place to get a cigarette was about a mile away, like 15-minute walk. So he said, why don't you just drive there? Well, cars weren't invented yet. So what do you do? How many options do you have? He is in the middle of the night, he's tired, wants to go back to sleep, wants a cigarette, so either he could go and get the cigarettes, or he could go back to sleep. Those are his two options, correct? Which one do you think he chose? Oh, you can say he wants to get a cigarette. Danielle, what do you think? We're back to sleep. What do you say, Johnny? Cigarette. Cigarette. It's definitely a cigarette. Cigarette? Cigarette. Okay, you know what? Out of your six answers, you're all wrong. He found a third option. I, I can't believe no one's no one called me out for every time every single time you ever hear me in a class saying is it this or is it that you say well it's maybe a third Let option. No, listen to what he did. Listen to this calculation. Listen to this calculation, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> listen to what he said. And this is exactly what I'm trying to tell you here, at least in the first half of this, and we'll spin it on its head in the other half. This is all the food is negative kind of uh, element of of uh, of Jewish philosophy. If I go back to sleep. Why would I go back to sleep? Because you're tired. You're tired and you're lazy. Well, you're tired and you're lazy because if you had a cigarette there, you, you'd smoke it, right? And then you'd get tired and go 
So the reason, the motivation that you would have to go back to sleep, like Danielle said, would be because it's the middle of the night, you're tired, you're lazy, right? And by going to sleep and giving in to that, you're reinforcing your laziness. Now let's say he says, I'm going to go there, I'm not going to be lazy, and I'm going to go get the cigarette. What's, what's motivating that? The desire for the cigarette, right? So either way, you're going to be reinforcing a negative character. So Rabbi Israel Santa said like this, I'm going to get up, get dressed, walk to the store. I'm not going to buy the cigarettes. I'm going to walk back and go to sleep. Well, what is that accomplishing? Oh, what does it accomplish? What it accomplishes what is, is it's an example He's of combating lazy. the negative character. That's what it is. is he says, crazy. listen, I have different forces. My laziness says go to sleep. My desire for the physical fulfillment says go get the... Uh, I'm going to battle them both. I'm gonna, not going to be lazy. I'm going to go there. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to go back to sleep. challenge the rabbi. I have an issue with that. Go ahead. Um, we, in Judaism, I can give you many examples of times where we are not encouraged to test our Yitzhar Haram. Really? We're not, we're not encouraged go to ahead. test give me an example. our evil inclination. Give me an example. There are examples of, of biblical personalities that challenged God to give them uh, difficulty. Well, no, that, that, that's, that's number one. That's, that, 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 no, no. Two, oh, whoa, slow down, slow down. That's not a good example. Because <laughs> yeah. this, this is not someone who's asking for a challenge. He was presented with a challenge. He didn't bring the challenge upon himself. He was going to the store to not buy a cigarette. No, no, cigarette. He was presented with a challenge. No. Because he started smoking, so he created... So the well, okay, fine. You, that, 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 that's a different argument. Meaning the point why, is, is that right now... He put himself in, 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 in harm's way. What's the harm's way? Well, if we consider Avera sin, let's call it, okay? You know, if that is it's not, spiritual danger... Well, there's no well, sin here. What do you mean? Do you believe that, that smoking cigarettes is dangerous? Well, he didn't believe it, so that's irrelevant. This was not about sin. About this was about what's called, uh, what's called uh, indulgence. That's what it's about. And this is an example of a Jewish attitude of refraining from doing things and thus empowering your soul. If you, if you stunt your body and your body's desires and its whims, by definition, you embolden and empower your soul. And thus, and, and I'll t- I think look at all the kosher laws. And by the way, all the laws of the Torah to begin with, all of them. Uh, don't do this in Shabbos, don't do that in Shabbos, don't do this in Shabbos, don't do that. Like, a whole list of things. Mm. A whole laundry list of things you can't do in Shabbos. All these things you can't do, you can't do, you can't do, you can't do. What is, that, what is that creating? What model is that creating for you? That is a model of forcing you to tell your desires no. To have willpower to learn to say no. No. It's so hard, though. It's so hard. Okay, but the Torah is encouraging us to become great people. The only way to become great people is if we learn this quality. And thus, we have the most delicious food in the world. You know, I know people, whenever they have a plate, even to go to a fancy restaurant, right? Every time they fill up the plate with food, they always leave a little bit of the plate that they don't finish. You know, like when you're stuffing yourself, oh, it's so delicious, and you're like, I'll just have like two or three more bites to finish it off. I'm not hungry at all, but it's so delicious. That is allowing a certain part of your desires to overtake your focus, right? If food is fuel and potentially a distraction as well, learn to say no. You learn to say no, and by doing that, you're in a little bit, a small minor way, you are emboldened, emboldening your capacity, your, your, your soul, and, and, and weakening your body, thus weakening the forces of these distractions in life. Yes? Did I not start 
maybe. Explain. Yeah, but remember, your body is not a garbage can. Baltashkas means we don't waste. We don't waste. Is it waste? It's not waste. Is it waste to stuff it in your like? Is, if if you guys don't need everything you can, I should just eat it all myself. No, no find another way. I find another way to do it. Give it to the dog. I don't know. I give it. To, I give it to poor people or give it. Well, okay, the restaurant throws out lots of... But it doesn't matter. Your body's not a garbage can. Would this, would this concept, Rabbi, fall into the whole... Go ahead. Fall into the whole no pain, no gain uh, concept? I'll tell you an example. Ori, for example, goes to the gym, right? <coughs> In the initial stages of you toning yourself up, you are subjecting your body to difficulty, right? I had a roommate who was very into the Navy SEAL program. All, all of it, no weights, no machines, just push-ups, sit-ups, chin-ups, and pull-ups. And his motto was, pain is weakness leaving the body. I don't know if it's true or not true. The point is, toning and, 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 and doing something like that hurts. But you're, why are you putting yourself, putting yourself through that? Because you believe in the eventual outcome being better. Yes. But here as well, right, this limitation is... Uh, resistance. This resistance. Yeah, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll bring you some sort of sources for what you're saying. Um, we find in the Midrash. So the Midrash is a Talmud equivalent, Kirtzot Talmud. Right? These are ancient, ancient Jewish documents, which if you want to know what the Jews believe about any issue, look what the Talmud or the Midrash says about it. And the Talmud says as follows, tov. Thank you. The Almighty saw everything that he made, and behold, it was exceedingly good. It says the Midrash, tov, ze, yetzer, tov. Tov, good, refers to the good inclination. Me'od, exceedingly good, this is the evil inclination. What is good? Good is the good inclination. What's superb, fantastic, wonderful, exceedingly good? That's the evil inclination. Do you know why? Because only the evil inclination presents with us the resistance that allows us to overcome that and become greater selves. So yes, on one hand, it's, it's, it's evil, it's negative, because it's resistance. Right? It's like you bring the gym example. It's a great example. Everyone in the gym is suffering. Why would they pay money to suffer? The answer is they're suffering, but the result of their suffering is, is beneficial for them. So it's difficult. It's resistance, but the net for us is opportunity for greatness. You know, um, just in line with what the rabbi is saying, very often the in rabbi. movies and fiction, when you think about the angel of good and the angel of bad, you have one with the halo on the head and one with the pitchfork, which are with red and like angry looking, right? And the truth is, is that the Talmud equates the evil inclination, the angel of death, and the Satan as one being. It's all the same being, same, the same thing. So but my rabbi said something very inspiring, actually. He said that an angel, we're very limited in our knowledge of how angels work, angels work, what they are. One thing we do know about them is that they are um, commanded to do God's will. And uh, they um, are perfect in their, in, their, um, in their cause of exclusively... They, are, they, they don't have this power of free will that we do. They are, they are limited to doing God's will. Now, if we believe that God is a God of good, then every angel that's doing the will of God is really just doing good for God. Okay, now follow me here. So if the evil inclination and the angel of death and the Satan are all the same person, then it's, even if it has some negative connotations to it, it's still an angel. And the angel is doing, is, is doing the will of God, and God is good. So the way my rabbi described it once 
like the rabbi just put it, is that you can imagine that the angel wants you to do good. The, the evil inclination, the one that's throwing at you the challenges, your livelihood, the health issues, God forbid, the family issues, the, 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 the difficulty in being Jewish, all the different hardships that you go through in your life, which many people look at those issues and they're like, you know what, why do I need this? I'm so depressed, the hell with this world, you know? But the truth is, is that if you look at it at, at, like the way he's saying it, that every difficulty is really the greatest good because it's, it's only through overcoming those hardships that spurs me to become that better person, then you can really gain a glimpse to how the evil inclination, i.e. the angel of death, all of those, those concepts are really only good. They're only there for us to, to, uh, to improve and to, and to overcome. If we weren't challenged in our lifetimes, then our life would look like this. We would be stagnant, or we would be the same person in 20, 30 years. Hopefully, our challenges give us this ability to overcome and to change through our, our experiences. Okay, so that's, uh, that's one perspective. Now, what about some positivity? So, and this, this is why I think the, the issue is a little bit kind of it's interesting and it's intriguing. Because we find, for example, this in the Talmud. The Talmud says, and I know I just mentioned I never in my life, I never in my life have eaten a strawberry, so maybe I'm guilty of this. Um, that a person, huh? Strawberries and olives. Not strawberries nor olives. I don't know if I've ever eaten a grape either. Olives? Huh? No. You never had strawberries? Mm-hmm. Why don't you try them? Why, yeah, why don't you try I know exactly what it tastes like, and I know exactly what consistency it has, and those little things, not so much. Either way, what does the Talmud say about <laughs> me, right? Talmud says that if someone will be <laughs> held... like a chemistry yeah. set, like that there's, there's actually yeah. health reason behind why a lot of people... Because you know how when you grow up, you learn the food pyramid, yeah. and that you're supposed to eat a large amount of fruits and a large amount of vegetables? Well... There's, I'm taking a, this class, it's a, a science class for teachers, and part of it is health education, and it deals with the certain types of fruits that you're not supposed to eat, because why do we eat fruit? Because they're sweet. It's basically like eating candy or junk food, and so the reason why most people don't eat fruit, like a large amount of fruit or a fruit at all, is just like eating candy. But I, I eat plenty of candy, so <laughs> I guess I get well, my... You don't eat there you go, exactly. Isn't it, isn't it better... For you, if it's coming from natural sources. Yeah, of course yeah, it's better it than artificial. You might have sugar, but everything has to be eaten in moderation. But yeah. I'm hmm. sure every fruit has something good in it. Yeah. So, um, so the Talmud says as follows. So some will be held accountable if there's a fruit that they do not partake in. You have to taste it at least once. The Almighty gave us fruits, and they're delicious, and they might give us pleasures in this world for our betterment, for our benefit, for our indulgence. And if I say, oh, you know what, I'm not going to have that, then I'm essentially like refusing the graciousness of the, and the hospitality of the Almighty, and that's really bad. Not only that, there's a, uh, the Talmud says that uh, a Nazir, <laughs> Nazir is someone who abstains and refrains from drinking wine for a minimum of 30 days. And afterwards, he has to bring an atonement sacrifice, achatas. you know why? Al shitzir atzumaniyayim, because he pained himself by abstaining from wine. So you have to atone if you abstain from pleasures. So which one is it? Are pleasures these evil things that we have to worry about, the distractions that we need to be concerned? But this is, must, but we, well, that's what I said earlier, but this, 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 this sounds like positivity, right? This sounds like if you abstain from, from, from wine, then you're a sinner. So you, the only way to 
not be a sinner is to indulge. So which one is it? Oh my gosh, just tell me. I don't know. It's moderation. I guess not indulge, but at least partake. Yeah, but it doesn't say don't partake. It says don't indulge. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. Fine. So he says doesn't, doesn't go into... So well, I think that, that's a very fair uh, a reconciliation. And that is that, okay, you could kind of have it along the journey, but don't make it a pit stop, yeah, right? Or have a little bit, but don't make it, a, don't make it its own... <laughs> but don't... It's actually... Um, I was thinking something else. So that, that's for sure true. I was thinking something else. I was thinking that it's not just that it's allowed, but it's a mitzvah, right? It's, it's once again, this intersection of the spiritual and the physical. And, uh, and, and the idea being is that we do not view as the proverbial buckies as being something which is essentially evil. We don't. Rather, it is evil if you make it its own it's, you know, it's its own stage, so to speak, if you make it its own value. But if it's an accompaniment, if it's something which you can partake in and enjoy, but not dwell upon and not make it its own priority, well, then, it's, then it could be a mitzvah. I'll give you guys an example. We have two people doing the exact identical activity. Two stalls in a restaurant or two... <laughs> so you have two booths in a restaurant. <laughs> and one guy is doing one of the biggest mitzvahs in the world, and one guy is sinning. How is that possible? It means the answer is it's not necessarily about what you do, it's how you do it. If you, like Rabbi Johnny spoke about earlier, if you eat something and you make a blessing, that activity is a mitzvah. Or like what are we saying, if you say, hey, I have an ultimate goal and that's spiritual and the only way to drive the engine, the only fuel that I need to get there is eating, then my eating is a mitzvah because it is assisting me in doing a mitzvah as well. And then you have the guy, other guy who says, you know what, I'm hungry and doesn't say a bracha, doesn't kind of concentrate upon what the value this is and they just indulge for it on its own right and that's essentially taking her off the ball and said, that's a distraction. So you could do the same exact identical activity and one guy's doing a mitzvah, one guy's sitting. I'll give you guys another example. What, what about sleeping, right? So sleeping is something we all need to do. Of course. That's right, we all need to sleep. Yes. But is sleeping a mitzvah or is it not a mitzvah? Oh, it's a mitzvah. Some people have sleep apnea. But the, but the fact that some people have sleep, sleep apnea does not prove that it's a mitzvah, right? But some people can't sleep. What about like sleeping? so? But is that, is so that, but that is that a mitzvah mean, or not? Oh well, yes, it is a mitzvah it's, that you can sleep because well, like, it's a benefit you that you can sleep. Have, you know? But is it a mitzvah? Well, yes. Well, people can which sleep. Mitzvah like, nap, which mitzvah is it? Which mitzvah is it? Sleeping preserve your body. Yeah, because your you body needs energy. Yeah, you need once energy. You're sleeping, but and yes, I agree with you. But are we guarant? Are you are you guaranteeing me that everyone who <laughs> or everyone who sleeps is focusing on preserving their body? This is exactly my point. You have two people taking naps. One guy is doing it with Ori's intention. So they could, you know, be better parents, or they could be better spouses, or they could study Torah better, or they could, you know, it's 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 not a focus unto its own. It's an accompaniment, it's an encouragement to bring you to your ultimate focus. That's a mitzvah. But if I say, hey, my life is about having really long, leisurely awesome naps, if that's what your life's about. That's the proverbial buckies, right? 
That is making this world into not a path, a journey to destination, but a destination unto its own. So it's not about what you do, it's about why you do it. And the, the insight, I think if we could say the one crowning, fundamental, uh, emblematic insight of Judaism is this point. And that is that we don't live in two domains that are separate and distinct from each other. Rather, we live in a world where we choose what realm these domains are. We can choose to have the spiritual overlay onto the physical world. We can choose to have these worlds intersect. We can choose to, to make a mitzvah out of everything that we do. You can, like I said, you could be eating and doing a mitzvah if you so choose. If you kind of have the same mental calculations of saying, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm thanking the Almighty, so there's one element of gratitude. I'm doing it because I need it for my health and, and well-being. Those are mitzvahs. On the other hand, you have a same guy does the same thing, and to them, it's a destination to their own, and therefore, it's a dereliction of duty. It's an abandoning of life itself, because it's making this world into a destination. And by doing that, you know what you're essentially doing? You're rejecting God. You're repudiating your faith. One guy does a mitzvah, one guy repudiates faith. One guy eats matzah, He's chewing crackers. One guy eats matzah, he's experiencing the Exodus at Mount Sinai. How is that possible? It's the same action. The answer is, you choose which physical world you live in. You choose, am I, is my food a mitzvah? Is my sleep a mitzvah? Is my crackers a mitzvah? You can decide. That is the crowning emblematic insight of Judaism. We can choose to have our worlds intersect. We can choose, it's possible to do every second of your life as another mitzvah. It's possible. You go to sleep, and that's a mitzvah. Seven hours of mitzvahs. Or, in my world, maybe an hour and a half of mitzvah, and then a break, and then, right? You don't, you don't. But what's your intention when you go to sleep? Yes, that's my intention. So that's what we have. We we have a blessing that you say. So Danielle taught us about the blessing that we say right when we wake up in the morning. There's a blessing you're supposed to say right before you go to sleep at night. And that essentially is planning what the sleep's about. It's kind of invoking, injecting into your sleep the mitzvah element of it. And thus, it's possible that every second of your life you're actually living, and you know what? From the outsider's view, naked, naked eye view, you wouldn't see that this guy's doing a mitzvah. He's going to sleep. Everyone goes to sleep. At night, you look at the two roommates. They're both sleeping. They're both snoring. And one guy's doing a mitzvah. One, one guy's not doing a mitzvah. And in fact, one guy could be doing a mitzvah. The other person could be, in fact, rejecting God. And it's crazy. How is it possible to do the same thing? The answer is we choose what world we live in. We choose what our sleep is, what our eating is. And our eating could be a tremendous mitzvah. It's, it's just bizarre. And, you, you know, a sizzling steak doesn't sound so spiritual. It sounds savory, I guess. Uh, sumptuous. Delectable. Doesn't sound, doesn't sound spiritual. No, spiritual is abstaining. Spiritual is, you know, is, 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 is meditating. It's praying. How is that? The answer is it could be if you make it, if you have the blessing, if you have the concentration, if you have the mindfulness, if you have the recognition that this is something the Almighty gave to you and you're appreciative and you stop for a second to think about it. You live your life with the cognition, with the recognition. You got the word, huh? I love your verbiage. <laughs> <laughs> right? With the recognition Please. that. He's going to sleep very But it will be a mitzvah, right? Right? 
with the recognition that this is from the Almighty. That simple switch that you turn on, that you say, I'm doing this not for an end unto its own, but I have the recognitions from God and I'm using it for its correct purpose, just that kind of paradigm shift that you can make in your head takes everything that we do in the mitzvah. So I think we talk about uh, kosher 2.0, right? Um, Yes, it's about making sure we eat everything we eat is kosher, looking on the bottles, making sure it has symbols, making sure it's got the O and the U in it and the... The O and the K and the HKA and all these letters, right? I don't know the what the HJA alpha, is. What is H-K-A, that? HKA, Houston Kosher Authority or Association or whatever it's called. <gasps> I right? don't look for that. Is that something Well, that's good. Bad? Well, no, but if you got it. There we go. So this, we know this one's kosher. HKA, Houston Kosher Association. Oh, that's what that stands for? That's what it stands for, right? But is that is that holy eating? It could be if you make it. Well, it's got a Torah. Yeah, but how are you supposed to know it's Houston... Kosher. Kosher. Well, that you know now. How are you supposed to know that? How are you supposed to know what H looks like? You asked. That's how you're supposed to know. I didn't know that that's what that meant. I know what Farav means. What does Farav mean? There's no milk or meat. There's no meat. We're obvious meat, but there's no milk. It's true. You get some companies that you put a K on their food. So, but actually, Kellogg's. Kellogg's with a K is kosher. Right, K That's just the way it is. And. Kellogg's if it has a K is kosher, even though even if it does not. You mean not. there's Kellogg's with a C? No, no, not no. If it has a small K, not, <laughs> <laughs> not that Kellogg's is spelled. Dana, oh, you see was, the, this, this is one of the most famous yeah, the American kosher symbols. Just the K yeah. on Kellogg's only. This is the O U. It's kosher. Yeah. O U stands for Orthodox. It's just you just go to the oh, any grocery yeah. store, look for Kellogg's box. It has a K. It'll have a random K. No circles. Like some, some of the boxes. So you're saying it has to be a circle K. Circle K is also good. So what if it's a triangle? Danielle has a story. No. When I was small, I thought circle K stores, I just made the assumption they were kosher stores. What's a circle K store? You guys don't have them here. They're like the nasty. None of us grew up here. The nasty. I grew up here. Non-Buckies. They're like circle K gas stations. So I just assumed that these were like kosher stores. They're really cool. They were like the kosher ones. The whole store is kosher. Like that's where the juice. And they need to get that <laughs> so, um, so that, so that's that, guys. We have some other cool things here. You know, I'll give you guys, are you guys another, another, another exactly. cool element here of uh, of kosher lifestyle. It's, it's when you, you when you make a blessing, what are you acknowledging? Yeah, the food came from the Almighty. Correct. Yeah. If you like fruity, girly drinks, I think. How do you make food? No. <laughs> but, how, but how does it grow? You drop a seed into the ground. How does it work? Do you have any idea how it works? Well, you gotta put soil, and you have to let yeah, the roots grow. Yeah, but could you have? You, has anyone? My kids have tried this, but has anyone here ever tried to chew soil? To chew soil. soil. To eat it? No, to but eat I know soil? people that do. Would eat soil. Kids like soil, you but my point. My, but my point is like yeah, this: soil is inedible. Like, like, well, it's, it isn't, okay? It's just soil. Yeah, regular soil, like undigestible? No, it's not undigestible, it's just not food. And then a seed is not food either. Yet, the magic of, the magic of putting them together, it's, 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 it's a, we call that a miracle. It's a miracle. And when you stop and say, thank you, Almighty, for bringing bread out of the ground, the Almighty transformed soil into bread that gives you nourishment and nutrition and sustenance. That's a miracle. 
But when you recognize that, what are you not doing? I know, I know, I know. I'm so what sorry. are you not doing? I'm trying to figure out what you're doing with the water. Oh, when you recognize God, what are you not doing? When you recognize God, what you're not doing. When someone recognizes God, what they're not doing? What are they not doing? They're not ignoring God. <laughs> right? What happens when someone ignores God? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what happens when someone ignores God? They're not recognizing God. That's true. But what does God do when someone ignores Him? No. Exactly. I'll give you guys a story here. So you have this guy, highfalutant uh, attorney, who worked in the Empire State Building on the 70th floor. Before cell phones, his phones were down, and he got locked into his office. Uh Oh, Oh my gosh. And it's getting late, and there's no one around, and it's getting darker and darker, and he wants to get out, but he's locked in from the the outside. So he goes over to the balcony and starts shouting to passerby downstairs. Shouting, 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 I'm here, I'm stuck, I'm here, I'm stuck, come get me out. And no one can't hear him because there's a wind, but it's very far away. So he takes coins out of his pocket and starts dropping the coins down. And in the hopes that someone will scoop up some coins and look up and see where their goodness is coming from (laughs) and save him. But no one does. Everyone scoops up the the, the coins and the money. And he starts throwing dollar bills and he's throwing fives and tens and twenties and fifties and hundreds. And people just take the money and run. No one ever looks up to thank him, to notice him, to recognize him, and to save him. Where is this? Is in New York City. So he goes over to the potted plant. He goes over to the potted plant and he takes a handful of pebbles and throws them down. And people see the pebbles raining down from the sky and they look up and they say, That's that's an analogy. listen, Listen to this, guys. This is the explanation of the analogy. The Almighty wants us to notice him, to recognize him, to have a relationship with him. That's that destination that we need to be focused on. And he does good for us, and he gives us coins and dollars and nickels, and right, everything's fine, and we don't notice him, we ignore him. So you know what he does when we ignore him? Right? So we, don't, we don't recognize that God. We ignore him. When he, we ignore him, he nudges us awake. And he gives us things, and suddenly when bad things happen to us, we say, oh, where was God when this bad thing happened? I stubbed my toe. Oh, the Almighty hates me. You know why? Because we're programmed to think of God when bad things happen, and to ignore God when good things happen. When we make a blessing, we acknowledge the goodness that God does. We save ourselves from having to be forcefully, forcibly uh, awakened and aroused to the existence of God. Wow. So, aroused. That's a lovely word, too. It's yeah. better than awoken. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good word. Lovely. Your vocabulary is nice. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, you're a dictionary. Um, <laughs> so... And I think um, this is kind of like a nice little benefit. We talk about eating kosher and kind of being mindful of our life and living more purposefully. And then we see that it's, 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 really, it's really what life is all about. You know, This is obviously a, a small example of uh, a bigger picture here. So it's about, yes, it's about food, but it's not just food alone. It's, it's really everything that we have in our life. It's this conflict. It's this, it's this model wherein... We are trying to keep our eye on the ball and there are all these distractions. And food and the way the Torah prescribes us to eat food, they kind of assist us in having the right focus. You make a blessing, you recognize God, right? You also keep, you know, you, you acknowledge the existence of this big world that we know is out there. 
And let me tell you something a little terrifying, and with this we will conclude. So, you're going to make it positive at the end. This is very positive. It's okay. Very positive. Good job. So there's a big uh, hullabaloo now about climate change, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about it itself. Okay. Let's assume that it's all real, right? We're not going to have that argument. We're assuming it's real. And then there's this beach, the shoreline. And every year, the water gets higher and higher. The beach gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then some guy comes over and he says, listen, I have the deal of the century. There's a lot. It's an amazing lot right by the beach. If you build a house, it'd be a fantastic vacation home. And look, it brings you out there. And you're like, hmm, that's great. You're just a couple of feet away from the water. It's wonderful, right? You build a really nice, big, beautiful house and you'll have this summer home forever, right? And then he says, just one thing before you sign the dotted line. I want you to know that every year the tide moves up seven inches. So in five to ten years, your house will, be, will have three or four feet of water on it. Does it make sense for you to make this investment? Obviously not, right? We have to realize, and this is undeniable, whatever you believe, whatever you don't believe, it's undeniable that each one of us around this room, within a hundred years, most likely, maybe a little, is going to be interred in the ground, and we're going to decompose, and little... Worms gonna eat at our flesh. Well, I don't like to think about that. But that's true. Okay. As much as you Sir, hate it, worms. that is true of each and every one of us. It's true. It's depressing, but it's true. If we make it our focus to invest in a commodity that's rapidly diminishing value, if if this is our only focus is on our current iteration of who we are as a body and soul fused together. We should know that our investment is guaranteed to go to zero. Guaranteed. We know in a few years, we'll be underwater. Right? Proverbial, right? We'll be underground, but underwater, right? We know that that's true. That's absolutely true. When we make a blessing, we have this recognition of this bigger picture and this bigger world out there and this eternal existence that we have and that we ought to make a priority. Right? Yes, I'm not trying to eschew and reject and withhold and abstain, and be ascetic, and disregard our current iteration, our body-soul fusion. But we have to realize this is all temporary. It's all temporary, and thus we have to, uh, we, you know, we have to uh, tailor our priorities uh, to that reality, to that, to that breakdown of, of, of importance. It's true. No one could deny it. Even if you don't believe in God, and even if you're an atheist, you have to realize that one thing is for sure, and that investment that you're making in your body is guaranteed to be valueless once you're dead. You'll say, oh, well, maybe you can help your kids. Fine, there, there, there is the argument to be made. But the point is, is that you investing in your body and its associated agendas, that is an investment that is guaranteed to be, guaranteed to be in the water soon. Unless you're talking about like, like prolonging your life. Like, yeah, but that, that's just delaying. It's like, it's, it's, no, it's, 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 it's kicking the it's can down the road. Good, Maybe, but that, but I agree. Uh, but yeah, that yeah, is only so predicated if the good is is the ultimate can't good. Can't but look at what he said as like the glass half full. Versus oh yeah, so there's a there's a positive. Well, and that, that's that, that's precisely my point. Yes, if we don't have this bigger this soul centric perspective, it's a very depressing world out there, because it's just a race to zero, right? It's just. You know, in, in the words of Tony Soprano, right? It's just you're lifting weights, you go to Italy, you watch a movie, and it's all a series of distractions till you die. Yeah. 
That's what it is. Series oh of distractions. See that? And you know what? That is very depressing. On one hand. But we are gifted by this possibility, by this dream, by this understanding, you know, by the sensibility of our soul. And we know that what we do, our misses that we do today, last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Our soul is impervious to climate change. Right? A soul lives forever. And we ought to also focus on investing our times and efforts and focus into those pursuits. Well, that, that question of um, distractions till you die, or what's the point of all, that's the original question. That's true. But, but the, the, that, I'm saying that the understanding is, is that it's, it's, the death is, is finality. Right? We have a much bigger perspective, and we know that we can, in this temporary, transient existence, achieve things that last forever. And that's, I think, remarkably inspiring. And every time we make a blessing, we're making an investment into our IRA, into our Roth, into our HSA, into, into our permanent savings account. That's not going to disappear when we die. And that is, I think, very, very inspiring. And it's pretty incredible that with something as simple and as basic as just eating food, we're able to gain such a valuable perspective on life itself. Thanks a lot, guys. Lots of fun. Thank you. Okay, a couple of announcements. That was nice. Number one, if I